Welcome to Equipping the Persecuted Radio, sponsored by Equipping the Persecuted. It is a true boots-on-the-ground ministry that gives to Christians who are in most need. Right now, Equipping the Persecuted is in the midst of building an orphanage that is dedicated to taking care of those who have had their parents martyred for the cause of Christ. And you can find out more about this project and many other undertakings of this ministry is involved in at www.equippingthepersecuted.com. I'm your host, Pastor Sam, and in today's episode, we're going to be discussing perhaps the three greatest ills in our world today, pietism, situationism, and antinomianism. But we want to hear from you. Please email us at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com and let us know what you think are the most damaging beliefs in our world today. Our guest today has recently put out a documentary that reveals these three issues in, our, in the church and in our culture today. The documentary is called Enemies Within the Church, and the narrator in the face of this film is Pastor Carrie Gordon. Pastor Carey is the senior pastor at Cornerstone World Outreach, where he has served on the pastoral staff for over 20 years, and he is a godly man and a dear friend of mine. How are you doing today, Pastor Carey? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me with you, Pastor Sam. I look forward to talking to your audience, and I have a cup of coffee, so hopefully um, I'll be sharp-witted. Yeah, well, that cup of coffee, that is important. Um, in fact, uh, isn't that the best part of waking up, except it's not Folgers that's in your cup? Is that true? Exactly. The best part of waking up is drinking something superior to Folgers in your cup. <laughs> how have you been doing, and, and how is the, the film being received here, Enemies Within the Church? I think it came out uh, in mid-November. The, the premiere for it was um, November of last year, so it's been out for just a few months. It's being very well received, but um, you know, distribution's very difficult because we're not pro-gay, and we've discovered that our society has become more hostile to anything that tells the truth about sodomy or gay marriage or transgenderism than it has ever been. Um, we even had attorneys tell us they've never seen anything quite like it. So uh, all the media, main media gates were, were slammed in our face and locked, and that includes some of the larger Christian networks, they won't touch our movie. In fact, our movie team, um, I was at a conference of Baptist churches. I'm not Baptist myself, but I went up to speak and do a screening of the movie here just a few nights ago while most of our movie team was in the Orlando area at CPAC. And CPAC had told our director that we could do a screening of our movie at CPAC. So, you know, we came came up with uh, quite a bit of expense to move our team and our products, our table, and our advertisements down there to the CPAC event. And uh, they had a booth and they got there and then they told the director, no, you can't show your movie. It's too controversial. But then if you look down the aisle, CPAC has pro-gay booths. They have a booth for atheism. And uh, they kind of have this general policy that they don't want uh, any Christian things to be said from their uh, platform. So uh, CPAC is kind of a, it's a farce. But, you know, it used to be, it used to be a place where the good guys could go talk about truth. But so when you have Republican culture, and that's what CPAC is, it's Republican Party culture, which is quite hostile to the scripture, although they have great talking points in the rural areas to keep you voting for them. 
Um, they have no regard whatsoever for Scripture. They don't care what the Bible says. They don't believe in Jesus, and they don't live like they do anyway. And um, they're hostile to the truth. They're truth suppressors. The Bible warns men who suppress the truth. So our movie, it, you know, even on the supposedly conservative side, is being uh, harshly resisted. It's demonic, in my opinion. We believe that, you know, the Lord himself inspired the creation of this movie uh, as a, um, a lifeline to be thrown to, to people who were unwittingly deceived. We want to help them. We want to salvage them before it's too late. We want to reach the minds of pastors who are good men, who really do love God, and they just want so desperately to reach people for the Lord Jesus and they're falling into schemes and and that they don't necessarily realize at the time is a scheme, you know, like talking about white privilege or racism. And they think, you know, this is a topic that's important to young people and I want young people to come to church. So they start bantering with all the, these, um, well, this glossary of terms that comes from the left. We wanna reach those good men that are just being tricked slowly, subtly being pulled off course into what we know is a false gospel and uh, we're trying to reach those men. We're trying to, uh, you know, call uh, American people to repentance because they've turned their backs on God. We are a filthy nation. Um, I'm very proud of our heritage, and I'm proud of my nation, and I love America with all of my heart. I'm certainly a patriot by any stretch of the definition. But a true patriot, someone who really loves their nation, is willing to confront their nation when their nation does wrong. And, um, you know, the test of uh, supposed patriotism in some of these parties, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, is how blindly loyal you are to those uh, decrepit organizations filled with filthy, wicked people. And uh, I am not a partisan. I am a Christian. I believe in the authority of the scripture. I believe in the inerrancy of the scripture. And that's the approach of our entire movie. And so there's a lot of resistance. You know, Democrats, of course, they want nothing to do with our movie. And now I would say a majority of Republicans are offended by it. Uh, the so-called conservatives won't even let us show it. N needless to say, um, it, with our best calculations, we're, we're confident that so far, with you know, very little advertising by comparison to any other documentary film, and, and certainly far more suppression, than most documentaries ever have to endure, we still believe we've probably already reached an audience somewhere around 200,000 people have seen our movie. Wow, Not a day goes by that, yeah, isn't that wonderful? Not, not a day goes by that someone, some stranger from sometimes other nations, and frequently in the United States and various states all over the place, I get messages almost daily saying thank you so much for making this movie. This really helped me understand what's going on. And I, I, my favorite comment so far, and I've received a lot of them, but my favorite comment was from a pastor who was just tired. He said, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and there, I keep looking for an exit ramp where I can just retire and let someone else deal with these frustrating Christians. They don't really listen I watched your movie. I got to the end of it, and it was like fire put back in my bones to get back in the pulpit and keep slugging away. You know, so I love that. That's Amen. that's inspiring. So, so it's going really well despite uh, overt suppression, and we really do need 
uh, audiences like yours, grassroots support to expand our message to word of mouth, get the movie out there. It can be streamed at www. It can be streamed at enemieswithinthechurch.com, or you can order an old-fashioned DVD, and we'll ship you a DVD, whichever you prefer. You're not going to find this in Walmart, it doesn't sound like, and you probably won't find it in your Christian bookstore either, because really the church and our culture has been compromised, and it's been compromised uh, not just by Marxism, although that that is part of it. it. It's a lot of these ideologies that have led to the acceptance of Marxism. And when we come back from a quick break, we're gonna we're gonna dive into these uh, ideologies quickly. And so stay with us. We're gonna be right back. There is a crisis happening in Nigeria. Christians are being murdered and driven from their homes at the hands of Muslim terrorists. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Equipping the Persecuted is a mission organization that helps persecuted Christians in Nigeria by sending aid directly to persecuted Christians in need. When a Christian village is attacked, Equipping the Persecuted is there to respond with food, medical aid, and materials to rebuild their churches and communities. Equipping the Persecuted has boots on the ground ready to respond to an emergency. Within 48 hours of an attack, our team is there to help those in need. Prayerfully consider a monthly donation to help impact and save the lives of persecuted Christians. Equipping the Persecuted doesn't just raise awareness about persecution or just talk about it. They take action. Visit EquippingThePersecuted.org and donate today. Welcome back to Equipping the Persecuted, and today we've got the face and narrator of the film, and that is Pastor Kerry Gordon. And Pastor Kerry, in this film, you really go and discuss that there are three things uh, that, that have really led to the rot of the church by letting, really, enemies come within, and that's through antinomianism, pietism, and situationism, or situational ethics. Uh, c- could you give us a description of these three things? Well, sure. The, the first one probably I'd begin with is antinomianism. And antinomianism is, uh, it's, it's intended to be a pejorative term in reference to a movement within Christianity that is quite popular. Frankly, those who are not antinomian are the far, uh, definitely a minority. So the majority of professing Christians, at least in the West, take some form of antinomianism um, and they they believe it. And what it is, it means anta is uh, is anti, nomia is law. So it's anti-law. And it's the, it's the notion, which is a, a, a mistake, and in fact a deadly one, that somehow we pit the New Testament against the Old Testament. It's the idea that the, the New Covenant or the New Testament uh, obliterates, that's a word I see used sometimes, obliterates the Old Testament so that there is literally nothing in the Old Testament that has any efficacy for the modern life moving forward. We are only and exclusively guided by the text and the alleged law found only in the New Testament, and nothing in the Old Testament has any bearing on modern Christian life. That's antinomianism. Of course, the reason that that is wrong would be for the same reason that, you know, if you became a senior in high school and you had the idea that you should take everything from kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third grade, 
everything, uh, all, all that you learned about math, everything that you learned about grammar and English, every single nugget you learned about world history or American history or biology, you should take all of that data, all of that information, and completely forget about it. Just throw it out of your mind, throw it out of your life, because this is your senior year. And now in your senior year, all truth is new now. Everything is brand new, and everything you learn in your final senior year completely obliterates and devalues anything that you learned in the years preceding. Of course, that's preposterous and uh, absurd. It's an insult to intelligence to even think that way. But that is what we've done with the scripture. If you consider that the scriptures actually are not two covenants, but there's a, approximately 15 different covenants that God enters into with different groups of people throughout history, as recorded in the scripture. If you think of that as classes or, or grades, We've basically taken antinomianism and said the only thing that matters now is the New Testament, and we completely disregard the authority of the Old Testament. Now, uh, the truth is uh, you build on what you've learned in the past. So the New Testament is completely reliant upon the structure and permanent truths already established before in those previous covenants recorded in the Old Testament. So the New Testament is an extension of what God is already doing in, in the world uh, and was doing before Jesus came. And now we filter all of that permanent truth that doesn't change in the light of what Jesus has taught. Now, that's the correct way to look at the New Testament. So antinomianism is a canard, and it is a fallacy that is very dangerous. Now, what do they do with uh, the New Testament passage? Like, uh, it's appointed for man to die once, and after that judgment, by what standard are we going to be judged by? The Obviously, we know that there are two different judgments. The unbeliever at the great white throne and the believer uh, goes to the Bema seat, but it specifically states that we're judged by our works in these two judgments. Yes, it does. And um, that is a very good point, and it's a very good question. And the answer is, I, they they seem to obfuscate obvious problems with their theology. It's very, it's like, how hard is it to nail Jello to a wall? Um, <laughs> that's kind of what it comes down to. But but here's the thing: see, once you in once you've made a decision to remove the anchor of objective truths that are found in the Ten Commandments, for example. And you've decided in your theology that uh, love is the law that has replaced all other laws. And so ultimately what you've done, whether you realize it or not, is you've made all truth subjective uh, because you have no absolute anchor point to even define what love is. You cannot really soundly, theologically, define biblical love if you exclusively do it in the New Testament. It cannot be done because it was not the intention of the author who wrote the New Testament, who is the Holy Spirit, by the way. It was not his intention that you would be able to properly define love without objective law from the Old Testament. So 
what they do is they make everything relative. And that way, when you ask a question like you just asked, their their premise is squishy. And so they just squish their way right around you and they don't give you really coherent answers. And it's because their filtering mechanism and how they arrive at conclusions about the meaning of scripture, the, the, the alleged laws of interpretation, I'll just tell you, they don't really have any that function. Um, right. it, everything becomes subjective and based on what they feel is most biblical, what that, they think is most loving, and that's very dangerous. And what you're describing there, that's that's the definition of situation ethics, uh, which is something that you guys really hit on in the film, and you really go after this man, Joseph uh, Fletcher. And do you want to describe a little bit of who Fletcher was? Absolutely. Joseph Joseph Fletcher, um, you know, as we've studied him, especially with Trevor Loudon's research, my opinion of him has kind of changed. I, initially, I thought of him as some wayward, um, you know, a wayward priest or pastor in the middle of the Episcopalian denomination who was just um, too clever by half and he got sucked into liberal theology and jettisoned the idea of inerrancy and slowly started going down a path that led him to a very dark place. I'll give you the high spots. He, at one point, he was an Episcopal authority, a, a theologian inside the Episcopal church, and he had pastored for some amount of time. And then he sort of left um, what I call real ministry and, and went into a professorial role in one of the major theological institutions. And if if you just looked at him on the surface, you would think that, you know, he just fell in liberalism, denied inerrancy. And once you do that, you know, then you can sort of mold and shape the scriptures to teach what you want. Or you can actually agree that they do mean what they say, but the times have changed and and there's an open canon. I mean, that's a popular thing. So you know, we have new revelation now, and it, 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 it subordinates the old things that were written down. We sure appreciate that they wrote those down. And in their season, those were good truths to help the world. But now we've got new revelation. And so you, you try to postulate what happened to this guy. Well, the long story is, at some point in his life, after he has incredible influence, he writes a book that becomes uh, quite famous in the West, He's today, after he's dead, he's called the father of situationism in the West, and he's credited with introducing the theories of situational ethics to the Western mind, which essentially were designed to replace uh, thesis-antithesis thinking, and thesis-antithesis thinking in the Christian terms would be we based um, our decisions on what, on what is right and wrong based on the objective law of God established in the Ten Commandments. So his theory was we don't need those laws anymore. Now, the way we determine the difference between right and wrong is what is the most loving thing in the situation. And many Christians, if you said that, they would say, amen. And they don't realize that that is it's damnable heresy. It's yep. deadly, deadly poison from Satan. But they will say amen, because this is really what's going on, I would say. In a supermajority of churches every Sunday, almost all the clergy believe this now. Well, what, why is this so ironic? Well, toward the end of his life, he came out and declared himself to be an atheist. And he began to uh, advocate for um, 
horrid levels of euthanasia, including and not limited to putting down children up to the age of 12, from what, what I've read. If they had Down syndrome, he said it's the most loving thing to do is to breathe, bring the little retarded children in and, you know, say some sweet things and say, we're just going to give you a little injection and, and then just give them a lethal injection and put them to sleep and, and put them in the grave. That's the most loving thing to do. So he was he was a monster. He was promoting eugenics like you would see in Mein Kampf, written by Adolf Hitler. Um, he was into population control. His wife worked with Margaret Sanger uh, to help found Planned Parenthood. Need I go on? So what what has changed, in my opinion, is this. I thought initially when I read about him and studied him, he had started out a sincere Christian and he went down a dark path and Satan got a hold of him and he just lost all faith and declared himself to be an atheist. But after Trevor's research, it looks to me like there's evidence that he was an atheist from the very beginning and his entire agenda as a strong atheist was to lie and deceive and infiltrate the church to have an impact on Christian theology in the West and then come out at the end and pretend that he's, de he's decided he's an atheist. Now, I think he was an agent. It looks to us like he very well could have been um, a Soviet spy or an agent from communist Russia. Um, there, there's connections there that, that I don't know if I could prove that, but it looks to me like he was a fraud from the beginning. But here's the saddest thing. His book, Situational Ethics, I think you have a copy of it. I think you I showed do. me that yeah. one. In the late 1960s, when it was published, you would refer to that now. We would say it was a New York Times bestseller. That book was a household name. It went all over America, and it had such a profound effect on how we think and how we preach. And it's the whole thing is a doctrine of demons. And um, I've declared war on this thing because, you know, most of my friends— in ministry, good people love Jesus. They were born into a church world that had already been seduced by situational ethics. They're completely oblivious to its dangers. They don't understand why it's incompatible with the Bible. It's completely incompatible with true Christianity. And almost everyone in America believes it. Almost every preacher in America thinks that situational ethics is New Testament theology. And where did this come from? It came from who was a man who was so devious and dark and demonic that it should cause the hair to stand up on the back of your neck. But people don't know this. So um, even if you can't have an intellectual debate and get people to use reasoning to understand how evil situation ethics is when they go vote, for example, even if they'll never get them to admit that we have to choose the lesser of two evils, they'll say. No, you shouldn't, in fact. You shouldn't. Right. When both choices are evil, as a Christian, your duty is to God. You should say, I refuse to participate with this foolish errand that will always end in destruction because it's two mm -hmm. various forms of disobedience. And either fill in a, a write-in blank or you only vote for people who meet minimum standards of the Bible. That's what I do. Every Christian should do that. But even if you can't get them to agree on that, you would think that if you could show them the actual history of how situationism crept into the mind of the West and ruined the Christian church, 
you would think that even on that basis that they would listen. But I found this is a, a tremendous demonic stronghold in the minds of most Christians. And, and, and so a... that's my summary of situationism. And by the way, I thank you for connecting antinomianism and situationism, because antinomianism is the root. You, have, you reject Old Testament law as an objective standard, and something has to fill the vacuum that's created by the absence of that objective law. And what fills it is the false theology of love, that love is the greatest law, which is very squishy, can be molded and shaped with emotions, and situational ethics is the organization of false agape love theology. That's what it is. It is an organized approach to antinomian, um, the vacuum left by antinomian theology requires a way to move forward. How do we determine right from wrong if we're not going to do it by the law of God? Well, we do it by our feelings, and that's we call right. it love. And, and that's that situation. Yeah, and, and uh, you'd mentioned that Fletcher was a good atheist. Uh, in fact, he was such a good atheist that he won Humanist of the Year. Uh, actually, two different kind of awards for Humanist of the Year, and so there's no doubt about that. But we have just about uh, one minute left here, Pastor Kerry. Would you uh, want to tell everyone the true gospel? Absolutely. The true gospel, if you look at it biblically, uh, what the Bible describes as the gospel was almost always referred to as the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom continually um, for that first three years and didn't reveal that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah come to redeem mankind from their sins. He didn't even tell anybody about that until the very end. But the Bible says he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so then there's a school of thought that says, well, maybe there's a different gospel after uh, the resurrection than there was before the resurrection, because how can you preach the gospel of the kingdom and nobody even knows who Jesus is and that he's the son of God? So, but when Jesus is resurrected, uh, he says to them, this gospel must be preached until the end of the age when he returns. That's and right. what gospel was Jesus talking about? He was saying, what you've heard me preaching for the previous three and a half years, you are to continue preaching until I return to make the earth my footstool. And so obviously, whatever it was that the Bible is calling the gospel, that's the gospel, and that's what we are commanded to continue preaching. And I'll say it to you like this. Uh, if it's the gospel of the kingdom, uh, then we infer a kingdom has laws. And what does the Bible say about God's law? It says the law is the schoolmaster that leads sinners to Christ. Well, what we've done in the modern times is what we call the gospel is God loves you. What we call the gospel is God you know, has a wonderful plan for your life and he'll He'll save your soul and you can go to heaven. But we're skipping the introduction to the gospel. And I don't think you're really preaching the gospel right or correctly if you skip the first step, the introduction to the Messiah. And that's the law of God. So what's missing from modern evangelism is they almost universally refuse to convict sinners that they've done wrong, they've committed capital crimes against the highest kingdom in the world through their sins, 
the preaching against sin and the command, you must repent now. That's what's missing uh, in much of what people think is the gospel today. So the gospel is you've sinned, you're in great danger because God is just and he must deal with your crimes. But the good news is if you'll repent and turn from those sins and turn from your crimes against God, he will forgive you and can forgive you on a legal basis because Jesus came, took your punishment for the sins you committed upon himself at Calvary. He died in your place and he has redeemed you from slavery to sin. And you've been a, you can be adopted as a son or a daughter of God himself now and be considered a, a member of his family. And then after you get born again, and you start on a path of obedience to God's law, and you can do that because he gives you something wonderful and amazing that we sing about called grace. Your new path is a path of love and obedience to God's law, as opposed to your old path, which got you in trouble in the first place, and that was your disobedience to God's law, and the Bible defines sin as transgression of the law. So the law is what's missing from the presentation of the gospel in modern times. And uh, that's probably not the fastest way to say it, but that's the way I just said it. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in today to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. Our guest today was Pastor Kerry Gordon, and you can find his film at enemieswithinthechurch.com. Once again, that's enemieswithinthechurch.com. Equipping the Persecuted Radio is sponsored by Equipping the Persecuted. Please let us know what you think at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. Keep standing for the truth.